Welcome back to Second and Short. It is April 7th, 2023, and the MLB season just continues to roll on. Premier League is full of drama. We got Champions League quarterfinals next week. It's motherfucking Masters week, one of my favorite weeks of the year, and it wouldn't be a week without some NFL news. Luke, I talked to you on Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Baseball just continues to be so much fun to watch. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, Yankees beat the Phillies yesterday. Had a little nice bounce back from the last time we were recording when the Yankees lost. So, all is good in the world, man. Yeah, my Braves are looking good too. So, I cannot be mad. But today, we're going to talk some MLB. Then we'll get some NFL news in. We're going to get that top 10 cornerbacks list this season. We're coming to the end. Only one more list after this, and that'll be safeties. We're going to do our UCL quarterfinals previews for leg one, Premier League weekend preview, and then I'm going to talk a little bit of Masters to end off the show. I'm watching it right now. Love the Masters, everything about it. Luke, let's get into it. MLB. Let's do it. Anything that's happened in the MLB over the last couple of days that you've really liked? So I don't have the notes on it, but Glaber Torres – it, it finally seems like Yankees fans are getting what they thought they were getting out of Glaber Torres. He's, you know, seems to be breaking out. His, uh, his glove looks good. His bat looks good. And I think uh, before we were talking, you actually have some notes on him. So well, let's hear the stats. Yeah. I, I know he played well, but I want you to follow me up. I'm alley-ooping it to you. Look, he's scorching hot right now. Slash line, 421 batting average, 560 on base, 789 slugging. That gets him an OPS of... 1349. That is huge. He's got two home runs already and five stolen bases. Glaber Torres looks like he has reinvented himself going into this season. Yeah. And another player that I wanted to talk about was uh, Garrett Cole. I mean, he only has, you know, two starts under his belt. And I, I know I, you know, keep on talking about the Yankees, but hey, hey, give me, give me a second. All right. Garrett Cole's been finally fantastic, and he's showing some consistency. Like I said, I know it's only two games, but he looks great. Yeah, through two starts, uh, 6.1 innings pitched in this last one um, overall, uh, and 6.0 in the other one. With 12.1 innings pitched, he's already accumulated 19 strikeouts, only five walks. He's only given up one earned run. He looks... Very good right now to start this season. He's only given up six hits in two starts, three in each of them. I, you know, if I'm a Yankees fan, I've got to be very happy with how Garrett Cole looks to start this season because throughout these, what, two years he's been there, the trust just, you know, it comes back for a, a couple of starts and then it goes away. Hopefully he can hold this up throughout the season, but there is a lot to be looking for with Garrett Cole outside of just how he plays in the regular season, because for the Yankees, we need to see postseason success from him. So he can go out and win a Cy Young, but I, I still got to see it happen in October. Yeah. And I know uh, the Yankees are also waiting on guys like uh, Carlos Rondon, who um, kind of like, I think he may have gotten a little bit dinged up in spring training. He's back to throwing regularly again. And I read somewhere that we can expect him kind of like mid to late April and Harrison Bader kind of in the same boat, except he'll be, he probably won't be um, playing again until May. So the Yankees look really good. And two of of key guys that I really enjoyed um, 
watching last season, of course, Carlos wasn't with the Yankees, but Bader was. Love Harrison Bader. Um, another guy, kind of like what I mentioned with Volpe, offers some speed that the Yankees just simply haven't had, you know, for a long time now. And, um, yeah, can't wait for Bader and Carlos to be back to a already on-fire Yankees team, in my opinion. Yeah, and I want to talk about just how some of these teams have been doing across the league because the Rays remain undefeated at 6-0, and and Friday they go into a three-game series with the A's, so maybe we see this keep going. Right now um, they have the longest, I believe it's the longest undefeated start to a season with wins of four runs or more. I could be wrong on that one. Let me double-check. Yes, so they have won every single one of their six games by four runs or more. It's like the first time since, I want to say it was like 1914, a team won their first 12 or 13. Actually, I have a correction to that stat, and it's going to make it even more impressive. It's been since 1884. Okay, yeah. Which is just ridiculous. Yes, (laughs) that was a very long time ago. That's like only like a decade after the Civil War. Yeah, that's like when they're, you know, traveling on your typical like ships, like what we talked about with the Phillies yeah. or whatever team it was that you uh, brought yeah, up. Yeah, the Phillies going to spring training on a ship. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving what the Rays are doing right now. The pitching, it, it looks phenomenal. Shane McClanahan got his second win yesterday in their 7-2 win over the Nationals. Six Ks in six innings pitched. Giving up two earned runs, kind of surprising for Shane McClanahan, but nonetheless, he's looking phenomenal uh, through these first two starts. Yeah, You got a series that you're looking forward to? This weekend, there's a few. Padres-Braves, four-game series, I think it's going to be really good. The weather is not going to be fantastic in Atlanta during this uh, this weekend, but I think it's going to make for a great series. The only question is who's starting for the Braves in these games. We've got Strider pitching tonight, but it, you know this this pitching staff's pretty beat up right now. Um, you know, without obviously Freed got his start um, taken over by Bryce Elder. We'll probably see Charlie Morton on Friday, and then Kyle Wright's still out, so I'm really not sure. I think we go for a bullpen game. Typically, in a four-game series, you would do that. You know, we haven't had a day off yet, so um, this four-game series could be you know pretty nice for the Braves. And I don't know; they have the opportunity to continue to win. Uh, I think. Even if we only take two games out of the series against the Padres, it's a win. Even though the Padres haven't looked great, you know, it's still a team that's not easy to beat. Sure. Um, but you know, kind of to, you know, keep talking about the Braves for a second. Matt Olson, I, I can't remember if it was uh yesterday or two days ago, probing three runs against the Cardinals in a five to two win. That was super impressive. And one of them I saw on um, uh, Instagram, I think I sent this to you, Grayson, but it was uh, Matt Olson hit like a hit a gapper and Acuna from first base. Just the, the wheels were just insane. He never slowed down no, the, kid's the entire ridiculous. time. Yeah, kid's absolutely ridiculous. I'm, but I want to highlight. Oh, go ahead. I'm so happy to see Ronald Acuna fully healthy. Oh, yeah, it's 
he's one of the most entertaining players in baseball. I, I can't, you know, say enough about him. Uh, I'm looking forward to Arizona rematching the Dodgers. Um, I mean, they're, they're all pretty good. I'm kind of just like gawking just over baseball, you know, typical. Um, Yankees and uh, Orioles. That'll be exciting. First time yeah. Yankees have seen Baltimore this year. Uh, Houston sitting at three and four plays Minnesota at four and two. It'd be kind of interesting to see if Houston can kind of, you know, pull through that one a little bit. Um, Cardinals, Brewers, the Guardian, Cardinals, Cardinals and Brewers, Brewers will be good. Could be a good one with the Brewers sitting at five and one right now. But Corbin Burns, their ace, has not looked very good at all throughout this start of the season. Though they just swept the Mets, and you know. You would think that Corbin Burns would be a part of it. In his two starts, he's only gone nine innings total, 10 earned runs in a one uh, walk to strikeout ratio at six and six. Wow. Solid stuff there. And I'm looking forward to Seattle and Guardians again. I, I think Seattle, you know, they're in a position to get revenge here. And I mean, they're two and five. Everybody kind of thought they were going to be, you know, an exciting, awesome team to watch. Of course, we're only seven games in. I don't know. I'd like to see if they can bounce back, get some revenge. Yeah, I think that's going to be a very good series to watch. A lot of good baseball this weekend. Uh, I keep, I want to keep talking about some of the things that happened throughout this week. So, the Brewers swept the Mets, like I just said. Mets are sitting at 3-4. and four. They're going into a three-game series against the Marlins, where I believe Sandy Alcantara will probably be scheduled to pitch on Sunday. So... They could find themselves in a bad spot here if if things don't go well. Uh, the Mets being the ones that would find themselves in a bad spot because both of these teams are three and four, and I really do think that the Marlins could pick up two wins this weekend. Dude, too. Um, you know they they're a team that's kind of shown some fight this year. They didn't really start off too good, but you know they seem to be kind of leveling off and picking back up. And Mets are a team that you know they're going to have to. Um, the, the Marlins are not to be underestimated, especially you know the Mets kind of like having a super slow start oh no the Marlins could be you know a lot tougher than they think I believe yeah and Jazz Chisholm did go down with an injury uh, I believe it was yesterday maybe the night before um that's a big blow to this offense because obviously they still have bats around there but you need Jazz Chisholm in this lineup oh, oh for sure um there really is no good Marlins team without Jazz yeah a um, couple other things that happened this weekend. Uh, the Braves complete that sweep of the Cardinals from an exceptional start from Bryce Elder. Six innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, three walks, six strikeouts. I couldn't ask for more out of Bryce Elder. He's had multiple appearances in the majors where he's really showed out, but they kind of get outweighed by pretty lackluster appearances. And I, I feel like part of that goes towards the fact that he isn't a mainstay in the rotation. so. When you just kind of throw him down in AAA, have him have a start down there, and then you bring him up, and he does well, and then he stays here, has you know maybe a bad game, and then you send him back down, it's not good for these guys. They've got to learn to lose in the MLB and bounce back instead of losing and getting sent down. It just seems like he's just a product of the system that he's being manipulated by. And it's not working out well for him. But if he can continue to pump out appearances like this, then maybe the Braves would be more willing to keep him up. 
And I think to your point, the Braves offense kind of favors, um, you know, I think their young pitchers a lot because just looking at this series uh, with the Cardinals alone, Braves scored in the first inning of every game. In the first game, they were up seven or no, six to one uh, through two innings. So really good there. And then on Tuesday, they were up um, four to nothing through uh, three. um, Yeah, three innings. So just I feel like the early scoring is definitely what's going to help out these pitchers, uh, these younger pitchers for the Braves. Yeah, it's going to be huge. Let's talk about this. Mariners-Angels series that happened over the weekend. Two historical moments here. So, for the first time since July of 2018, Mike Trout played a three-plus game series against the Mariners and did not record a home run. Wow. That is just wild. The fact that he held that. Because, you know, uh, an in-division opponent, a team that you've been playing multiple, uh, I want to say, what, four series? A year, I could be wrong there. It could be more. Um, I know they've changed the schedules around this year, but a team that you play very often, the fact that that went on for almost five years is crazy. Yeah, that is uh, absolutely ridiculous. And and to your point, like you said, a divisional opponent like that, that's, uh, that's definitely a good record to have. Yeah, and then Shohei... Uh, continues his historic career with another historic performance. This one, not so good, though. Um, He is the first player ever to receive two pitch clock violations, one as the pitcher and one as the batter in one game. Yeah, I mean, is there there another player that could even – well, I mean, I guess technically any player could do that, but I feel like Shohei would definitely be the one that, you know, just with how he has played, would definitely be the first one. That, yeah, that would happen too. <laughs> uh, of course, but it's kind of funny. Like, this was news. Like, I'm looking at ESPN right now on like their MLB page, and the second headline is Shohei Otani makes MLB history with pair of pitch clock violations. <laughs> yeah, I, it is definitely kind of just goofy to hear. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> we love Shohei. All right, I got two more things. So Pablo Lopez is off to a hot start in Minnesota. Uh, got traded in the offseason for Elise, or Luis Arias, and Pablo Lopez looks fantastic. 12.1 innings, one run, five hits, 16 strikeouts, only four walks, and his average fastball velo of 95.6 in these two starts is a career high. Wow. Okay. And then this is just like a funny story. Um, the Guardians actually tweeted this one out. As a 13-year-old, Jose Ramirez played in a gambling league with adults to earn money for his family. And in, circum- in certain circumstances, bettors would gamble on a player to have a positive outcome. If they didn't come through, they would be chased home by the gamblers with machetes and guns. Really? And this this is Pablo Lopez? Still? Uh, no, this is Jose Ramirez of the Guardians. Okay, okay. Wow. Where did he grow up? Uh, I believe he's from the Dominican Republic. Yes, yeah, he is from, he is from Bonnie, Dominican Republic. Dang. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely crazy. I was just, like, I saw it on Twitter and I was like, what in the hell? Yeah, I always, I always like the stories of, you know, um, especially athletes coming out of situations like this and trying to, you know, Trying to not fall into the system, if uh, that makes sense. Yeah. 
All right, before we move on, um, there's three games going on right now that we can talk about. Uh, Red Sox are beating the Tigers 6-3, bottom of the seventh. The Giants are beating the White Sox 4-2 in the middle of the third. And the Blue Jays are beating the Royals 4-0 in the middle of the fourth. All right, what is going on with this White Sox team? They have just, I, I don't know, just had like one of the more mediocre starts of um, to the season. Yeah, it, it seems like they can't string together a couple of good games like they get the win on opening day against the Astros then they lose two straight they win the series the final game of the series against the Astros and then they lose the opener against the Giants in horrible fashion they lose 12-3 then they win 7-3 the next day and now once again they find themselves down against the Giants it seems like there's not much consistency from this lineup yeah, um, but a good consistent part of uh, for them is uh, that man Dylan Cease is just on an absolute tear through his uh, first two starts. Yeah, he's looked phenomenal. And Lance Lynn on the other end is not looking good. Today alone, three innings pitched, four hits, four runs, four earned runs, two walks, and two home runs. Yeah, not not ideal for winning baseball games. <laughs> Certainly not. All right, Luke, anything else you want to talk about with the MLB before we get into the NFL news? Um, No, I, I think we're good, man. All right. Well, let's get into it. We got some Patriots news. Another former Patriot. This isn't as much Patriots news as it is Raiders news, but another former Patriot has joined Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas but in a, in a position that you might not recognize him in, that would be Coach Danny Amendola. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I can't quite remember which position he's with. I would assume he's probably a wide receivers coach. Um, but I believe he's just, okay, uh, he's actually the a coaching assistant and returners coach. Okay, I, I didn't think that he... Did he ever return with yeah. New England? I, I think he okay. was like their main return man after Edelman kind of got out of that role. Gotcha. Yeah, he, Danny Amendola, he's one of those like typical Patriots players that's like super solid in that system, but just kind of like, I don't know, kind of like a dud player, like not really much to, like entertaining, you know, entertaining yeah. things about them, but like just a really solid guy under Belichick. Yeah, certainly. And to speak on Belichick, there three NFL sources were asked about the Patriots shopping Mac Jones. One said, that's news to me. The second said that the Patriots have not had contact with the Buccaneers. And a third said that the Patriots did not reach out to the Raiders about Mac Jones either. So it looks like this whole story of Belichick shopping Mac Jones is just a big lie. And, and actually kind of reading this now, it definitely kind of seems that way. Um, and e even whenever we were talking about it on Tuesday, I kind of felt like it was just sort of like, uh, I don't know, you know, if this is really kind of like a thing or not. Yeah, we, we talked about it two weeks ago with the whole like Robert Kraft is, you know, might fire Bill Belichick if he doesn't get the results or whatever. Like, it seems like stories are very manufactured for the New England Patriots. Yeah, um, it's just a lot of like, I don't know, absurd things that we know that the conservatism of like the Patriots organization just it, it just doesn't make sense. So, yeah, I, I definitely can understand the Mac Jones stuff being fake or just kind of not really true. Yeah. Uh, Luke, I want to get your take on these two signings the Steelers made. They signed nose tackle Brendan Fehoko 
to a one-year deal and safety Keanu Neal to a two-year deal, a guy that I'm relatively familiar with from his time in Atlanta. For sure. Um, Becky, or Hoko? Uh, Faye Hoko. Hoko, thank you. Um, kind of a solid pickup there. Definitely needed some depth uh, at that tackle spot. I don't know if he'll really see much playing time, but he is kind of a guy that a lot of people are excited about with his, you know, Hawaiian connection, and there was like a picture of, uh, of him younger with a Troy uh, jersey on. So that's always nice nice to see, and I'll be um, excited to see him. Hopefully he'll get to see the field, but I'm not really too sure. Connor Neal, also kind of a depth move. He's still, you know, pretty young. Um, I don't, I don't know. I kind of think Keanu Neal's a little washed, but you know, we did lose Terrell Edmonds. Uh, luckily we re-signed Casey as well. And I, I think this one was just kind of another depth move, but I will say Keanu Neal's fucking large. He is a built safety. Yeah. Uh, what's funny about you guys still having KZ as well is that when Keanu Neal went down with his first ACL tear with the Falcons, DeMonte KZ is the guy that came in and filled his role. Interesting. Yeah, and awesome. then so we got we got a little bit of some Falcons secondary action. In yeah, the Steelers. Dude. Hey, that's just me and you teaming up, yes, sir. <laughs> All right, Austin Eckler. A little bit more news about his contract. He said that the Chargers refusing to discuss a new contract was a punch in the face, and it's almost like I've been saying this. They just disrespected the shit out of him for years the- now. It's crazy. They definitely have, yeah. I I mean, maybe Austin Eckler's taking it a little bit too personal because they have Justin Herbert who needs to get locked up. Friend Capel. I mean, <laughs> but out of all the players, maybe Eckler is the one that needs to be sacrificed. He was absolutely amazing last year. Well, actually, no, I take that back. I would probably give up one of the wide receivers, if not two of the wide receivers, to keep F- Eckler. But, like, I don't know. I don't think Eckler is really understanding the situation of his team around him, although it is still disrespectful. Yeah, I, I think that the fact that Keenan Allen is still getting paid what he's being paid, while Eckler, uh, it's not even arguable, Eckler has a much larger impact on that offense than Keenan Allen does at this point. I, I don't understand why they would rather they they kept Keenan Allen when they could have cut him this offseason, which would have opened up cap space. Like, I, I don't get some of the moves that the Chargers have been making because in my eyes, Eckler is your second most valuable player on that offense. Yeah. Um, and you know, Keenan Allen, he was out with like a a lingering hamstring injury. He was actually on my fantasy team and I traded him away because like it was unbelievable the shit that I was hearing about Keenan Allen and this fucking hamstring injury. And it was like, he would practice like Wednesday, Thursday. And then like, it was for weeks and weeks. This went on of him like practicing two days and not playing. And then I read somewhere like the middle of all this, that he had actually re aggravated his hamstring injury. So I fucking traded him. And that's exactly what the Chargers should have done is they should have cut him and uh, kept Eckler, but I, I get it. You know, Keenan Allen, he's been there for a while now. He's uh, consistent um, whenever he's actually on the field. Uh, definitely one of the best wide receivers in the league, but a guy that's going to eat up a lot of cap and not see a lot of the field. Yeah, and another kind of blunder that the Chargers have made with this whole situation is that now at this point, it's very obvious that Eckler wants out. So he's just diminished his trade value significantly. 
of course, the Chargers can be like, well, we want this kind of package for it, but maybe they don't. They don't really have that power in the negotiating when it's clear that Eckler doesn't want to be there. Exactly. And Austin Eckler, definitely, if you're going to get a player for Austin Eckler, that player will probably come with a lot of cap because, you know, these these are good-ass players if we're talking about, you know, trading for Austin Eckler. I don't know if the Chargers would be necessarily able to take on those kind of players. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. So... I don't know. Chargers are just, you know, they just keep fucking themselves, man. Just wait until they lose Justin Herbert. Yeah, then they're really <laughs> fucked. Let's talk about two teams. They're bringing in some new uniforms. The Cardinals will have new uniforms this season, expected to be unveiled leading up to the draft. So we'll see those in the next couple of weeks, as well as the Panthers. They're going to unveil new uniforms. But the Panthers did say in an official statement that it's not as much a design change. Uh, it's more actually a color change. So, um, when Nike started doing their jerseys, Nike picked the closest blue color that they had to what Carolina had previously. Now they have officially gotten their official blue color for the jerseys. So, uh, just a little bit of a tweak to the uniforms, but maybe it'll look a little bit better. I'm excited. Um, I will say, though, the Panthers are a jersey that I've always kind of liked. So I'm excited to see the new one, but I'm also kind of sad to see the old one go. Yeah, I um, think the Cardinals, though, the Cardinals definitely need an updated one, though. Yes, that's what I was about to say, is that the Cardinals uniform is so fucking bad. It's yeah. boring. There's nothing like nothing about that Cardinals jersey is like, oh, that's a cool jersey. Like It's just red on the shoulders, white in the middle, or red in the middle, black or white on the shoulders. Like, yeah, nothing special. Not, not Actually, on, on this uniform talk, who do you think unbiased has the best uniforms in the NFL? Oh, man, that's hard. And for me, I, I would say the Falcons. They have that alternate. Um, that I don't like, I don't the, like the gradient. One. I don't like the gradient. I will say that now. The, the throwback's throwback? great. Love the throwback. Yeah, the throwback's sick. I, I love the Falcons jerseys, dude. As a, as a colorblind man, it's very hard for me to pick a team and say they have a cool color scheme because the majority of the time, I don't know what colors they're wearing. But there is something that I do really like about the Lions. The blue and the gray, I think, plays very well. Oh, are are you talking about their um their Thanksgiving uniform? Yeah, it's like that great. Yeah, that one is pretty sick too. I love those ones. Big fan, big fan. All right, we've got just a little bit more advancement in Dan Snyder selling the Commanders. <laughs> it, we're just inching towards it, at week by week. We're chipping away. May twenty second is the target date for Daniel Snyder to pick the winning bid for the commander's sale. So it will be post-draft, but nonetheless, if it happens this summer, I'm I'm happy. Yeah, and that entire organization will be happy. I And especially, you know, you and I didn't think that it was even going to be this year. You know, I was thinking years and years down the road whenever the commanders would finally be sold. But I kind of wonder, you know, what this means for the team uh, going into this next season. If we'll already see improvements. Possibly. I don't see a ton of like front office changes coming because I think their front office has done a good job. I don't see many coaching changes happening. They've already kind of 
in there and done it. And so I, I don't think this is as much of a, a an on-field change as it is much like a structural change in the organization, uh, but definitely something going forward that will have a great impact on this Commander's franchise. Yeah, um, I, I with a guy like that running your team, I, I feel like when he's gone, that entire, like, you know, going to practice as a front office guy is different. You know, just doing your job is just a, a hell of a lot easier. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll see, you know, a lot more um, – a lot more happy commanders yeah. next season. And we've got another number change. Marvin Jones Jr. said that he will wear number zero. Okay. Okay. I, I, I hope Darnell Washington wears zero. That would be drafted. so awesome. Yep. I, I would love that. I didn't realize that Marvin Jones Jr. was back in Detroit. Yes. He has left Jacksonville. Heck yeah. I always like seeing players go back to their old teams like that. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I think it's fun to see like a guy start his career somewhere, move on, try something new, and then come back. Yeah, for sure. All right, this is probably the biggest news of the NFL in the past couple of days. Tyreek Hill said that he plans to retire after the 2025 season. Um, in quotes, he said, I'm going for 10, man. I'm going to finish out this contract with the Dolphins, and then I'm going to call it quits. I want to go into the business side. I want to do so many things in my life. And I think that – I don't know if this is actually going to happen. Really? I, I don't want to, like, fall for this bait and be like, well, you know, 2025 <laughs> comes around, and we're all like, all right, this is it. Yeah, just wait until Aaron Rodgers is like, hey, man, I moved to New York. Exactly. He he might he's gonna pull a Brady. He's gonna retire and then come back a couple of days later. Yeah. But uh, how much the Dolphins are paying him, he totally could retire after twenty twenty five. That's true. But <laughs> if he continues this, maybe he gets paid a little more. Like he's not that old. At twenty twenty five, I would still think that, you know, he he needs to still be getting better. Um, you know, with his age, he's he's not at the point where he you know needs to start capping or start regressing. He should still be getting better. Yeah, he'll be like early thirties. Yeah, so you're around like your what, I, what would you can I, I would consider that like your prime as an NFL player, like when you're at your peak, like you know you know how the game works and like peak athleticism all at the same time. Be, like, I consider 30s. it like the end of your twenties, like twenty seven to thirty. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's fair. So, you know, and it, and it does differ with NFL players because, you know, some of them come in later, some of them come in, yeah. you know, pretty young. So it, it kind of just fluctuates. But, like, Tyreek Hill. my position, too. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like Tyreek Hill has a point in wanting to retire after 10 because wide receivers, a lot of times, they don't have a very long shelf life. Uh, Jerry Rice is kind of your one, you know, outlier there, I feel yeah. like. He played for fucking ever, which is weird. <laughs> True. All right, a little bit of draft talk before we move on to this top 10 cornerbacks list. Florida offensive lineman Osiris Torrance is visiting with the Steelers and the Commanders. Uh, it's looking like he's likely going to be a first-round pick, and with these two teams, the Commanders pick at 16, Pittsburgh at 17. They're going to be kind of – it's going to be an interesting way if it sorts out with these two teams. Definitely. Um 
I, man, all I've heard is cornerback for the Steelers. I, I would be very, very surprised if we were to bring in an offensive lineman. But that's another position that the Steelers definitely could use some help in. So I don't know if I could be all that, you know, mad. But I, I think I'm all for Joey Porter or Christian Gonzalez at this point. But I, I like I like the Steelers at least touching base with this dude because he's a fucking animal. Yeah, and I think that the Steelers, to me, should probably go offensive line in the second round. Because this draft is loaded with offensive line talent. Yeah, and you don't want to miss out on pretty much. I, I think there's only like two cornerbacks that are like first rounders, right? And it's Gonzalez uh, and Joey Porter. No, there's also um, uh, the guy from Illinois, Witherspoon. Oh, okay. Yep. Devin Witherspoon, I think, from Illinois. I've seen him yeah. being the first corner off the lit, uh, off the board. So Really? Yeah, there's no telling, man. Interesting. I have heard nothing about the Steelers with that Weatherspoon guy. I have only heard Gonzalez and Joey Porter Jr. Interesting. I think I saw one possibly from ESPN, one of their guys. Maybe it was Todd McShay had Devin Witherspoon to the Steelers. Interesting. Uh, the Detroit Lions reportedly host Alabama outside linebacker Will Anderson for a visit. Do you see the Lions going for Will Anderson here? Because I, I don't think he drops. But if he yeah. does, if he doesn't get picked by the Cardinals, there's a pretty good chance Detroit could pick him up. Yeah, um, Detroit definitely needs some help defensively. Uh, you know, they've kind of tried to address the secondary issue by bringing in Cam Sutton, and they still have, you know, a lot of young guys like Jeff Okuda there too. I, I feel like an outside linebacker could do Detroit well, but like you said, just don't really know if that guy will slip because he's, you know, he's top, top talent. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be pretty tough for him to fall through the hands of the Cardinals and the Seahawks, but also the Seahawks could end up going quarterback. So there's really no telling. Yeah, no telling there. Um, fuck, what was I just going to say? Remember, the Falcons going to draft Will Anderson? Uh, no, nah, he's not going to drop that far. Okay. Well, who, who's the edge that the Falcons want to draft? I've seen Miles Murphy out of Clemson. I've seen Tyree Wilson out of A&M. But just about consensus is defensive end. Yeah, interesting. And then Boston College uh, wide receiver Zay Flowers. He is scheduled to visit with the Patriots on Wednesday. Um, And he also accepted his invitation and will attend the upcoming NFL draft. So Zay Flowers has a appeared to be kind of a lock in the first round, and I think he would be a great addition to the Patriots. Physical, fast, wide receiver, can get up to the ball. Not really the biggest guy, but that's not really what we've seen from Patriots wide receivers. They don't typically go for, like, your huge physical wide receivers, you know, since, like, Randy Moss. And I think that Zay Flowers really fits the mold with the fast, you know, can play slot, can really be effective on slant routes would work so well in a j- offense led by Mac Jones. Yeah. Um, and wide receiver is an issue that I felt like they've needed to address for a while now. Um, Nikhil Harry, they drafted over DK Metcalf. I just wanted to throw that out there. Not a lot of people shit on Belichick enough for drafting um, Nikhil, uh, Nikhil Harry, Henry, yeah. what did I Harry. say? Yeah. Harry, my bad. Nikhil Harry uh, over DK Metcalf. And ever since then, it's just kind of been like, 
they have a lot of decent guys. You know, they've had um, Jacoby Myers, who was okay. Kendrick Bourne, who's had okay games. Um, uh, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith both came in at the same time at tight end, but both never really could amount um, the, to the same play like they had with the Chargers and the Titans. So Zay Flowers could definitely be, you know, a huge culture change in, uh, in New England. Yeah. All right. Anything else you've seen from the NFL that you want to talk about? No, I think we're good. All right. Let's hit this cornerbacks list. I think this is going to be probably a lot of similar names in different order. Yeah. That's, that's how I'm thinking it right now. Luke, who do you want to go first? Uh, I'll take it. Okay. Let's hear it. Number number 10. I like Trevon Diggs. So a a guy who became a total meme after having all those picks that year, you know, the big play was definitely a huge issue for him, but he's definitely worked it out. He's starting to kind of level off, not um, the same amount of picks as he did uh, the year before last, but still, you know, he's becoming more solid in coverage. Uh, Gave up 511 yards. Three touchdowns allowed. He had an 86.1 passer rating, which isn't the best. Um, 65% completion rate against him. Uh, 13 pass deflections, three picks. Um, and y- yeah, he just he matured a lot this season, and I was super happy with his growth. And I think he'll only get better. All right, number ten. I have Stefan Gilmore. I think that we've seen very good things out of him, considering how much he's aged. Uh, obviously, just a few years back, winning a Defensive Player of the Year in New England, the guy was an absolute beast, and he plays a old like the old school style of cornerback, where it's really all about coverage, and he's so good at closing out wide receivers, and like he doesn't, he doesn't have the crazy physical skill of some of like the top corners in the league right now, but fast strong, uh, very technical in coverage. Like uh, PFF had him graded um, in coverage, number sixth overall for his PFF coverage grade, uh, eighth in war uh, by PFF. So I think that Stefan Gilmore certainly has some things to show. Now he's going to be with the Cowboys. There is the possibility that Stefan Gilmore continues to be one of the best cornerbacks in the league, even at, I think he's in his mid-30s. He's 32 years old. Um, and I'll be really interested to see if any, uh, if Diggs' performances get better, you know, with Stephon Gilmore. Because Stephon Gilmore, who actually it leads into my number nine, who is Stephon Gilmore, is he's still got that kind of shutdown ability. You know, he's not like your cornerback two pick artist. He is your cornerback one, you know, blanket the fucking top wide receiver on the other team um and i'll be kind of interested to see if uh trayvon Diggs, uh his stats go up uh because of the addition of uh, stefan gilmore kind of taking some pressure off of him anyway though uh only gave up 459 yards no touchdowns uh for stefan gilmore last year uh given up uh 63.4 passer rating 55.6 completion rating both very good numbers there Eight pass deflections, two picks, and like you kind of uh, brought up earlier, 32 years old, still very, very impressive. Yeah, super happy with how Stephon Gilmore's been. My number nine is Traverius Ward of the 49ers. This guy was a huge part 
of a 49ers defense that we have never stopped talking about. It seems like we can't avoid talking about how good that defense was last year, but kind of got overshadowed by, you know, the linebackers and the defensive line. But Traverius Ward was a huge part of that team. And my favorite statistic I have here is that he ranked second amongst quarterbacks in PFF's score rank. Uh, score is successful coverage over expected, which is a measure of success regardless of being targeted. So Traverius Ward, whether he was targeted or not, was a huge impact player for this 49ers defense in coverage. Just fantastic stuff that we've seen, and I think it's going to continue to get better. Okay, that was a guy that didn't make my list. Got you there. Um, Let's see, number eight. I'm going to go with Patrick Peterson here. Um, Five interceptions, which was tied for second. He was absolutely amazing there. 60 solo tackles, which is pretty high um, for this list. Uh, Jalen Ramsey was the only cornerback that had more than Patrick Peterson at 62. Um, you know, and I feel like tackling for cornerbacks is kind of something that gets overlooked. Uh, cornerbacks are kind of, you know, seen as pussies whenever it comes to tackling. I'll just come out and say it. You know, they're they're not supposed to be good tacklers. A lot of them aren't really good tacklers. Hell, Deion Sanders really didn't even like to tackle that much. But Patrick Peterson definitely likes it. You know, he's got 60 there. Uh, and like I said, his five picks, the last time, and I brought this up on, a, I think, the podcast where he signed with the Steelers, the last time that he had five or more picks in his career was 2012, which was his second year in the league where he had seven and he's at 32 years old right now. So Patrick Peterson aging like fine wine. I like it. My number eight, I feel like I probably have this guy way too low on this list. It's James Bradbury. I certainly could have put him significantly higher. I know, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) In my opinion, he gets outshined on the field by Darius Slay. And I just, I don't know what it is. I think it's that when he's, he doesn't have the run stopping ability of other corners that makes them like that much better. James Bradbury doesn't have a huge effect on the game unless the ball is being thrown directly at him. I just, I don't know. He doesn't, doesn't quite do it for me when it comes to watching him play because he's not quite as physical as other guys that are kind of at the top, but he still has a great game. And I just think that he's just a few steps behind Darius Slay and his skills on the field. And that's what kind of outshines him for me and puts him lower on my list. Okay. I, I, I respect that. And I mean, you could always make the argument that the reason that James Bradbury's stats are so good is because he's another really good cornerback too that's kind of just munching off of Darius Slay, sort of. So I understand that, but James Bradbury um, is much higher on my list. But we're on, uh, what's number seven right now? Yes. Right? At number seven, I'm going to go with Jair Alexander, um, a player that kind of started off a little bit slow this year, um, but he finished the season graded ninth best in war um, among, I think, the entire NFL, which is incredibly impressive. Um Gave up 487 yards, uh, 67.9 passer rating, 60% completion against him. Uh, I think he gave up two touchdowns, uh, which is, I mean, meh. He had five picks this year, which was awesome. And I wanted to highlight four TFLs. 
Um, and a, a, this was a really special moment for Jair Alexander this year. One of the few corners to shut down Jay Jettas this year, and that blowout win that the Packers had over the Vikings, Justin Jefferson had one reception for 15 yards. And Jair Alexander had, like, no stats that game, which is pretty good if you're a cornerback. So, yeah, Jair, Jair Alexander made my number seven. I've got him way higher on my list. Interesting. But at number seven, I've got Trayvon Diggs here. So, I think that okay. Trayvon Diggs probably would have been higher on a lot of people's lists last year. But, personally, I think he's gotten better than what he was last year. A lot of blown coverage, but the interceptions blind everybody. and. Because he's just playing more consistently, he's doing a lot better at creating like tougher passing windows and really playing well in zone that it changes the scope of what he can do with the position with you know how he's kind of changed his approach at the cornerback position because he doesn't need to be hawking the ball. There's safeties for that. All he needs to do is lock down his man, and he did a significantly better job this season than he did last year. I, yeah, completely agree with that one. Um, I probably could have had him higher on my list too, but my number six, Freak Woolen. What a fantastic rookie performance, and, and a guy out of nowhere. You know, all the hype was towards Sauce, rightfully so. Um, but Freak Woolen, another dog himself, uh, only gave up 308 yards he did give up three touchdowns, though, 12 pass deflections. He had six interceptions, which was tied for the most. He had one TFL, uh, a 55.4 passer rating, a 53.2 completion against him. And, yeah, he's just he's just an absolute dog on this young Seahawks team that's going to be dangerous for, you know, a long-ass time if they can sign everybody to long-term deals. But, yeah, Tariq Woolen, I'm definitely excited to see how he's going to develop. Well, I actually have Tariq Woolen at six as well. Um, I think he's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, a guy that, you know, obviously the interceptions are the big number there with six tied for the lead in the league as a rookie is crazy. The eight passes defended, or sorry, 16 passes defended. I was reading the wrong guy. 16, absolutely crazy numbers there. That puts him tied for fourth in, um, in passes defended. The guy is just a, a physical monster. The coverage could be better. It's kind of a Trayvon Diggs situation where the coverage could be better, but he gets to the ball and it makes his impact a little bit bigger. I think he plays still very good coverage, but I, I certainly would have put him higher if you know maybe a little less yards given up. Yeah, I agree there. Um, my number five. This is where I have Darius Slay. So I want you to go ahead and be thinking, Grayson, the fact that I I I may or may not have James Bradbury higher than Darius Slay. That's but fine. anyway, 361 yards given up, one touchdown given up, uh 58.2 pass rating against him, a 55.2 completion rating against him, uh 10 pass deflections, and a solid three interceptions. And Darius Slay just, you know, is kind of a part of that sort of uh trident that Philadelphia had in their secondary with C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who was an absolute ball hawk, and uh, James Bradbury, who was, you know, just a really solid cornerback, too. Uh, this Philly secondary was super dangerous, and I like seeing Darius Slay's kind of resurgence. He was sort of on a decline, I felt like, with his last couple of years in Detroit. Joins a new team, and he seems, you know, back in form again. Uh, 
just, you know, another one of those players from my childhood that's just so much fun to watch. So he made my number five. All right, my number five, Pat Sertan, the second, of course, uh, from Denver. The kid is just a beast. The coverage is absolutely locked down. He can get picks. He can get interceptions. Like, I just said the same thing twice. I meant to say he can get picks and he can get pass deflections. But <laughs> Pat Sertan is a beast and a huge, huge part of of why Denver's secondary was so good. It was kind of the mixture of him and Justin Simmons at safety that really made that defense what it was and kept the Broncos in a lot of games they probably shouldn't have been in last year. Yeah. Too bad Patrick Sertan can't throw the football. Um, That's true. My number four was Marlon Humphrey. Uh, he was ranked 10th in war among all cornerbacks, so pretty good there. He only allowed under 300 yards at 282, two touchdowns. Um, 65.6 passer rating, 62% completion rating, um, six pass deflections, 50 tackles, which is a, also kind of a pretty high number among this list. Uh, he's, you know, he's a solid physical corner there. Um, three interceptions and three tackles for losses. This dude is very good off the blitz. And I, you know, when he's not playing against the Steelers, I do enjoy watching Marling. Uh, I do enjoy watching Marling Humphrey, you know, take on, some tackles there. Um, yeah, just another really solid corner. I feel like he kind of flew under a lot of people's radars, but he made my number four. All right, my number four, and I know you left him off your list, is Jalen Ramsey. He is still a fantastic cornerback. I don't get why people have just decided that he's not amazing just because of a, a down year from being the best cornerback in the league. I don't get why people just want to write him off after one not even bad season. He was second in war on PFF and still had great coverage numbers. The interceptions, not quite as good as you'd like. He only had four this season, still 18 def passes defended. He forced three fumbles and returned one. That's a big thing for me with corners. If you're if you're going to force fumbles and have the run-stopping ability of Jalen Ramsey, your impact is far bigger than what is asked of at the cornerback position. And that's why I think that Jalen Ramsey is still a top-five corner in this league. He's number four for me from this past season because he just continues to do it at the highest level. He made your number four? Yes. Uh man, I I don't know, Grayson. I don't know. I'm trying to find I'm trying to find the Jalen Ramsey stats that I was looking at that kind of made me think like, uh, I don't know. So gave up 433 uh, receiving yards, which isn't too bad, but it's a little bit high on this list. But yeah, here here's the main thing: a one oh a one oh five point eight passer rating against him and allowed five touchdowns. That would have been way more than anybody on my list. So I definitely – I'm not exactly trying to write off Jalen Ramsey. He just was, in my opinion, complete dog shit last year compared to what he normally is. His tackle numbers are pretty high, which, you know, he's always been an awesome tackling cornerback. It's a pretty underrated, you know, aspect of his game. But, you know, if we're just going to rank based off of performance of last year alone, there's no way Jalen Ramsey would have been in my top ten, in my opinion. But hey, that's that's why that's why you know that's why we have different you know we're two different people, Grace. That's fair. <laughs> but um, 
At number three, I actually had Patrick Sertan a little higher at number three. He was the third highest graded corner in war, which is ridiculous for how young he is. Um, 347 yards given up uh, with three touchdowns given up. Passer rating was a 91.9. I would like to see that a little bit lower, you know, in the future, but only a 55.4 completion percentage, which is pretty good. Eight pass deflections. He actually had one forced fumble. He was the only cornerback on my list that had a forced fumble. Two TFLs and also no picks, but he's, you know, he keeps developing. He's very, very solid. Uh, Patrick Sertan made my number three. All right, my number three, Darius Slay. This guy's just an absolute beast. And I said it with Traverius Ward that I absolutely love PFF's score statistic, the successful coverage over expected, because it's not just about when they're throwing at you. Because a lot of people are afraid to throw at Darius Slay. He ranked number one in the NFL in that statistic. He just, he's menacing at the corner position. And that is a huge part of being a cornerback is people being afraid to throw at you. And he continues to do it. He certainly is a feared corner. He showed it throughout the playoffs. And I just feel like Darius Slay has such a huge impact on this Philly defense that makes everybody else look that much better, including James Bradbury. Which is why James Bradbury is all the way at my number two because this guy's stats were absolutely fucking ridiculous. PFF had him graded the, the third highest cornerback of 2022. So just to, you know, so there's not confusion. Patrick Sertan was third highest graded in a war. James Bradbury overall was just the third highest graded cornerback. Um, only allowed 238 yards, which is about 50 yards less than anybody else on my list. Also only gave up one touchdown, pretty passer rating, which is also way less than anybody on my list, and a 44.1 completion percentage against him, which is also way, way, way less than anybody on my list. So James Bradbury, you know, a lot of these stats could be because he's a corner two. You know, he's not the main guy who's covering the top guys, but hey, I mean, you, you cannot, you know, you can't deny these stats. And he was absolutely solid. So he made my number two. All right, my number two is Jair Alexander. I think this guy is, like what I said about Darius Slay being a menace on the field, Jair Alexander is not afraid to not only lock you down, but also beat the shit out of you. And I think that Jair Alexander's impact for this Packers defense was huge. Once again, a guy that kind of kept Green Bay in a lot of games. And you brought up the Justin Jefferson performance nobody in the league could do that to Justin Jefferson. Not when they played the Eagles. Like, it's it's crazy how good Jair Alexander has been. He's physical. He'll talk your fucking head off. Yep. And he's also not afraid to knock it off either. <laughs> you think? Uh, do you think with Rodgers gone, he's the best player on the Packers? Yeah, I think even last year with Rodgers there, he was the best player on the Packers. I Yeah, I like that take. Um, my number one, all right, Grayson, it's time for our, you know, regular segment of get on our knees for <laughs> Sauce Gardner because I, I just – I want to get your reaction to this stat before I go off into the rest of what this fucker accomplished. You had the highest war rank of any defensive player last year. Any pass rusher, any linebacker, any interior lineman, 
highest war out of all of them. He had the fourth highest war among non-quarterbacks. Yeah. He's a fucking rookie, dude. I mean, just insane. Only gave up 304 yards. I had guys on my list that had less, but this is also pretty damn good. Passer rating of 57.5. Completion rating of uh, 52.3%. Only gave up one touchdown. He had two picks that were against Miami and Buffalo. Division rivals there, so he's showing up in the games that matter. 15 pass deflections, which was a little bit higher than anybody else on this list. And three TFLs. Sauce Gardner. Um, he, he's better than Deion Sanders. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sauce I mean, that, Gardner is absolute lockdown. I'm just going to read across his ranks on PFF's different gradings. He's number one just in PFF grade in general. Number one in EPA, which is expected points allowed per target. Number three in score, which was the off-ball uh, and on-ball measurement. Um, coverage grade, number one. War grade, number one. Um, his forced incompletion percentage, number two. First down slash touchdown percentage rank, he ranked number five. You can't beat him, and you can't beat him so much that you couldn't even throw at him or he was going to beat you. Like, it's ridiculous how good Sauce Gardner was last year. I mean... I cannot think of any sport that I follow a rookie come in and already be the best at their position. Yeah. No, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's he's, I don't think he's getting enough flowers. Like I am genuinely baffled by how good this guy is right off the bat. And I mean, if this is his rookie year, it's safe to say that he still has some development to go. It's just, it freaks me out to think of how good this guy can get. Yeah, <laughs> the thing is here is that Sauce Gardner cannot get a big head about it. Like, if he takes all of this to his head and is like, all right, I'm already the best, he's got to keep working. There's things that he can improve on to the point where nobody's going to throw to him once. It, for sure. And he has Aaron Rodgers, you know, potentially going to fucking join him and, you know, give him all of those uh, those playoff accolades early on in his career. He's, um, yeah, he's... Definitely the Jerry, or not the Jerry Rice, the Deion Sanders of our generation, which I've already said before, but I personally think he's better than Deion. He's not only a cornerback, but he's the complete defender package. Three TFLs was pretty good for the cornerbacks on my list. Um, dude, he likes to tackle too. He's he's not scared of tackling. He, he had 50 tackles, which was also pretty high. Um, just insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah, football and player. he led the league in pass, passes defended but he wasn't even getting targeted that much. That's the craziest part. He defended 20 passes, and nobody wanted to throw at him. Yeah, it's just ridiculous with him. Yeah, he's a ridiculously good player and certainly deserves his flowers. Luke, do you have any honorable mentions? I've got a few. My my only one was Jalen Ramsey. I mean, I mean, the tackle numbers for him is still impressive to me. Uh, I don't think a lot of people, you know, really talk about that um, in his game. And he's always been like that, always been a super physical corner. So I, I guess he's my only one. All right, yeah. I want to talk uh, Tyson Campbell of the Jaguars. Absolutely fantastic year. Uh, among the PFF grades, he was kind of consensus, like a top 15 guy in – 
just about every category, uh, top 10 in PFF grade and number six in war. The big problem here is the touchdown to uh, touchdown and first down percentage uh, gives up a few too many first downs, but I think in general, he had a fantastic year. Uh, Patrick Peterson, a guy that I left off my list, certainly deserves his credit at this point in his career. The fact that he's staying at the top level is crazy, and now he joins your Steelers to continue that impact. Uh, Jamel Dean from the Bucks, super underrated guy, had a fantastic year, arguably could have made my top 10, but uh, you know, a couple guys that I wanted a little bit more But the fact that he filled in this role, they're missing Carlton Davis, they're missing Antoine Winfield, and just played at the highest level that he could all season. And then he was the the dude that just got paid. Sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to add. Yeah, deserved it. And then one more guy, J.C. Horn from Carolina. He is just fantastic. And I feel like he could get more credit for what he does. EPA, he ranked fifth this season. Um, First down in touchdown percentage, he was third in the league in that, which is crazy good. J.C. Horn is going to be part of a Panthers lineup that just continues to get better. Sure. All right, Luke. It's time for some Champions League preview. I'm excited. It's been a while. I know. It's been a big break. It's been like a month since we've really gotten to talk about it. Let's just go ahead and get into it. Benfica versus Inter Milan, the first game. What are your thoughts here? Because I feel like this is probably the weakest matchup of all. Really? I think so. Okay, maybe definitely the weakest, but I think probably the most underrated. I'm in the same boat. Inter were completely outplayed by Porto in the two the two leg uh the two legs that they um was it the round of sixteen, correct? Yes. Yeah. Porto completely outplayed Inter. Now Inter has to play the other good Portuguese team in Benfica, and I'm gonna just go ahead and say it. Benfica's gonna win. Benfica's gonna beat Inter. Yeah, look, Benfica has not lost a match in all competitions since December 30th, and they've won their last eight in all competitions. They are hot, and Inter is not. Inter have not won a match in five matches in all competitions. I, I've got Benfica winning 2-1. 2-1. I, I like I actually, um, <laughs> I had that same exact score um, a prediction, and I, I think it's completely true because if you want to talk about, you know, just Champions League alone, I like how you brought up all competitions, but Benfica did play Club Bruges in the round of 16, but the aggregate was seven to one. It's it, Benfica did exactly what they were supposed to do against Club Bruges, which was absolutely murder them. Um, and it, you know, and my point there is Benfica didn't just scrape by here; they completely blew Club Bruges out of the water. And I think it'll continue against Inter. I also have a two-one aggregate between those two. All right, Man City versus Bayern. I think this is the biggest name matchup here, um, but. I think that this match, it's weird. I think that it could either be very close or I think Bayern Munich could run away with it. I I have Bayern winning because Bayern is the team that kept a clean sheet against a team that had Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar. Fair, but we've talked about our struggles of PSG. 
My biggest thing with Man City is that Phil Foden is most likely out in this one. Holland's still questionable. Obviously, this proved to not be an issue this past weekend, but Bayern Munich is not Liverpool. Very true. Um, this one, I, I have a 4-3 aggregate score prediction. Aaron will take it. I've actually... I like that Man City has not lost in their last 11 matches, and they've actually won their last seven in all competitions. So I'm going to take Man City. Actually, no. No, I'm going to go 2-2 draw. Make that second leg more interesting. Oh, you're okay. I was doing my aggregate predictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Oh, oh, oh. No, I was talking leg one. Oh, okay. Yeah, my bad. Well, I have a two. My last one was two one aggregate. I think uh, Inter are going to get knocked out two one, and I think Bayern will beat Manchester City four three aggregate. Okay. All right. Bayern Real Madrid. Team, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that I, I feel like Bayern are a team that'll capitalize against Manchester City. Manchester City are really hard to stop from scoring, um, and I don't think Bayern are necessarily going to be able to do that. I think Bayern are a good enough team to be able to to, uh, to compete with the scoring of Manchester City, which is why they're going to put four past them aggregate, beat them 4-3. All right. Real Madrid versus Chelsea. Look, before we even talk about this match itself, I want to uh, ask you, you know, what, what big changes could we see in this lineup now that Grand Potter's out and they've brought in Frank Lampard as the interim manager? Um, I think we're going to see a lot of young players coming back. Uh, there were a lot of players that did really good under Frank Lampard that have either kind of fallen back into the loan system or just are not really being played at all. And I think um, we'll see a I, – I, the biggest one will be Mason Mount. I think Mason Mount's going to come back to this, uh, to this Chelsea team. Um, he hadn't really looked good under Potter. So I, I think Mason Mount is going to be uh, – he's going to continue his awesome form that he had last season. Under Frank Lampard. I like it. Yeah, there's a lot of players in this Chelsea team in general that could be in the starting 11. I think that Frank Lampard might play it pretty interestingly here because I think at this point, interim manager, I, I have a feeling he wants his job back. If they win a Champions League, he's getting his job back. Do you, you know, imagine? At, at this point, they're not winning the Prem. They're most likely not getting into a Champions League spot in the Prem. And I feel like their best opportunity at success is winning this Champions League, and they're going to put their full efforts into it. Just imagine the story of Frank Lampard taking over a Chelsea team that's currently sitting at 10th in the Premier League and winning the Champions League as a manager instead of a player. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't <laughs> – I would just be so happy. Um I think Chelsea are in a position to do it because, it yes, it is Real Madrid, who I will say are probably the best overall team in the Champions League, in my opinion. I think they're better than Bayern uh, and they're better than City. But Real Madrid got a really unfavorable draw against Chelsea because, as I've talked about on the podcast before, Chelsea always play Real Madrid well. It is an insane game when these two play each other in the Champions League. And it's also the third time in a row we've seen these guys uh, get drawn in the knockout stages of the Champions League. In 2001, Chelsea knocked out Real Madrid on a 3-1 aggregate in the semifinal. Chelsea went on to win the final against Manchester City. In uh, 2002, um, Chelsea and Real Madrid drew, drew each other in the quarterfinal, and Chelsea got knocked out 4-5. 
um, that ended up, it, it was the second leg at the Bernabeu that Chelsea took them to overtime in. So it's not like Chelsea are just getting blown away by Real Madrid here. Um, but, you know, those were two very good games in back-to-back years. And I don't know. I, I think it's Chelsea's time. I think Chelsea are backed into a corner here. And with Frank Lampard as the manager, Real Madrid are going to – they ought to be scared because uh, Frank Lampard is going to bring an entire mentality change to this uh, Chelsea team. Yeah, I, I can't I can't wait to see how this lineup looks because a lot of people questioned how Graham Potter set up these lineups. And I feel like Frank Lampard might have something better for us because I'm certainly not okay with how much playing time Pulisic's getting. He should not be getting any playing time. Raheem needs to be starting at left wing, in my opinion. But Mudrik should be getting minutes as well. And I feel like there's just a lot of waste. I do like the five at the back that they ran against Liverpool last weekend with uh, Chilwell and Reese James at the wing back positions and then Cucurella, Fofana with Koulibaly in the middle. I like that setup because it allows... Chilwell and Reese James to play up the field, which is what both of them are very good at. Conte can kind of stay back and let Fofana go out wide. And I feel like it just works super well. You can feed Yao Felix, you can feed Kai Havertz, and Fernandez and Kovacic can create the chances from the midfield. That lineup looked great. Did the results come? No. But... I feel like something similar to this, because you're missing Thiago Silva still, works very well in my mind. Oh, for sure. And and Potter, I'll give him some credit here. Potter's proven that with that Chelsea defense, he can can get clean sheets. It's the goals that Chelsea need. Um, And I think that's that's what kind of Frank Lampard will do, is he'll start bringing the goals to Chelsea. I just wanted to bring uh, bring up a point. N'Golo Conte has played... Um, like what, like three matches this year? They've all been under different man- – and N'Golo Conte has had four different managers this year in like four different matches or something like that. It's like a crazy stat. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, back with this lineup, though. If they keep this similar setup, but I think with Frank Lampard's style, I'd see Kovacic out of the starting lineup and put Enzo probably more in like the left center mid spot and Conte plays holding, but really is like the right center mid. And then you have Mount at Cam with Havertz and Felix up top. I like that a lot, actually. Um, Felix needs to get involved and get some goals, man. And Havertz needs to stop being so inconsistent. Um, yeah, That's it, really what it comes down to between those two, I think. What's interesting about this Chelsea lineup is that you really don't have a, a true striker. Uh, Aubameyang sucks and he's injured. So you're not really going to put him in striker. I think Kai Havertz definitely plays attacking mid more naturally than the striker position. Yao Felix, a little bit more of a center forward than a striker, is very involved in kind of the buildup and not so much in the box. So I think if Chelsea had kind of a big target in the middle, this team would be so much better because their team is so good at creating chances just across the board with Enzo, Yao Felix, Kovacic creates chances very well. Chilwell can create chances. Reese James, like guys across this team are very good at creating chances. 
I just need a better finisher in this squad. Which is exactly what Chelsea, I think, are going to address in the summer transfer window because it looks like Victor Ozzyman is Chelsea's main uh, transfer target. And another good thing is it also looks like Jao Felix wants to make his deal permanent. Atletico Madrid, his loan. So two, two good news for, you know, two good pieces of news there for Chelsea. But results got to come. And, you know, we can't sign Victor Ozzyman yet, so we got to figure it out with Kai Havertz and Jao Felix. And... It wasn't working out with Potter. We have the change with um, Frank Lampard coming in now. I definitely think, you know, I, I don't know if the goals will come, but there will be a different Chelsea that Real Madrid will have to play against. Yeah, but Real Madrid coming off of a victory in El Clasico, they look so good. This squad is so complete. You were saying that just earlier. Like Benzema up front had a hat trick in El Clasico and an assist. Like, he is on ridiculous form. He continues to do it. Vinny looks fantastic. They actually played Kamavinga at left back in El Clasico, and he played phenomenally. Obviously, much more of a wing back in that position, mainly filling, like letting Vinicius flow into the middle and Kamavinga playing out wide because obviously Modric isn't really going to go out wide. He'll stay in the middle as well. It works very well. If I see this same lineup, that Real Madrid ran against Barcelona in El Clasico this past weekend against Chelsea next week. I don't know if Chelsea has a shot. Yeah, it'll be a huge uh, a hill to climb for Chelsea there. Um, it's you know this Real Madrid team. It, it's we're at the level now where it is not out of the realm to say that Real Madrid could go back to back this year. They can beat City. They can beat Bayern. Um, they can beat Chelsea. Uh, it, you know, like I said earlier, they're definitely the most complete team, but Chelsea always play them well. That is fair. And they could even, you know, put Antonio Rudiger into the starting lineup, make it a little more interesting. Yeah. He's got sure. a little backstory. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a, I think that man. leg one, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm going to take the hot team, and it's Real Madrid. I'm going to take them 1-0 in leg one. Uh, where is uh, leg one? It is leg? in Madrid. Okay. Um, I have Chelsea 2-1 aggregate over Real Madrid. I think it'll be a 1-0 at the Bernabeu, and Stamford Bridge uh, for the second leg will be an absolute, just w- one of those games of the years kind of thing. All right. All right, Milan versus Napoli. I think this is one of – I think this is my favorite matchup. Because I, yeah. these teams literally matched up last weekend. And it definitely went Milan's way. They took the win 4-0. But with Victor Osiman out right now, it looks like he's not going to return until after leg one. He should be back for leg two. Not really sure right now. But I, I'm, I'm not even going to try to say the guy's name. The winger that has won Serie A Player of the Month, like, Three or four times already this season. Okay, I'm gonna give it an attempt. Kav Kavratskalia. It's good enough. That guy's absolutely fucking insane. Yeah. Um. It, th- this one is gonna be a good one. You got the two Syria odd teams, and I always feel like an interleague matchup in a Champions League knockout game is there's always just something different. It, it, I can't explain what it is, but it's just different. Um. AC Milan are coming off of knocking out Tottenham. I don't, 
I don't know if I can say that that's impressive or not. I really don't. Of course, like yeah. Tottenham on paper have a way better lineup than Milan, and Milan are just kind of kind of like Bayern Munich, but on a way like smaller scale. Milan are a true team, um, and Tottenham are kind of you know just a lot of uh, superstars. I feel like but still a good win uh, over Tottenham there. Um, this Milan team is hungry. First time in the knockout stage since you know, oh man, probably. 2012 maybe it's it, probably somewhere in there and this Milan team is hungry they have won you know the UCL I think the third most out of anybody um and they're finally you know they have a good enough team to compete in it again uh, Napoli definitely have an uphill you know battle here but they they've been so good in the league and um Napoli and AC Milan have also split each other in the Serie A Napoli got the first game two to one and then obviously the second game was Milan completely blowing them out I don't, this one could go either way, man. Yeah, I feel like Milan lines up better when you look at it on paper. But Napoli certainly has fantastic players around the, the field. I'm just I'm missing the target. If you don't have Victor Osiman in the first uh in the first leg, I feel like it might be out of grasp for the second. Yeah, he's definitely going to be, you know, one of your bigger players there. Um, and that's a huge blow for Napoli because I don't know if the, the Georgian winger uh, is can really take it over. Uh, goal scoring wise, like Ozzyman can. With, with that news, I think I, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Milan aggregate. Yeah, I, I think just leg one, I've got Milan winning 3-1. Okay. It's, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be, you know, yeah. super heated because these teams see each other all the time. And now the stakes are a million times like higher because Napoli are finally in a position where they might be able to win this thing. And Milan have like come from the depths in the 2010s. Milan was an absolute joke compared to what they were in the 2000s. And now Milan is back. I just feel like, you know, the buildup and the stories of both of these teams, you know, you have Napoli that's about to win the Serie A for the first time since the Maradona days. It's just like, ah, uh, man, it's just a lot of a lot of buildup. I am so excited for this game. Yeah, dude, something crazy that I just saw. Napoli has a 44 goal differential in Serie A. Jesus Christ. They've scored 64 goals. They've only conceded 20. Yeah, that I mean, that's how you uh, that's how you're first by what, like 15 points. I had it at 19 when I, when I wrote this notes. Yeah, they're like, they're up by, um, yeah, 16 points right now, and they've got 20 yeah. points on Milan in third. Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's uh, definitely their time in the Serie A, but I don't I don't know if they can pass Milan in the or best Milan in the UCL though. Yeah, so. I, I'm in the same boat. So. It's going to be interesting. I think that a lot of these matches are going to set up for very good leg twos. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of these games are going to come down to the leg two. Like it won't just be decided in the first game, kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Like Let's it. talk about the prem. Not too much going on in the Premier League this weekend. A lot of kind of top versus bottom kind of matchups, but. We'll start it off with Man U versus Everton. It is a top versus bottom matchup, but still a pretty big one because Everton sits in 16th right now. They need points any way they can get them. And 
a draw is big for any of these teams in that, you know, 12 down in the league right now. So it's, it's big, but both of these teams are missing important midfielders in this one, both due to suspension. Uh, Ducore missing from Everton uh, on a red card suspension. And of course, Casemiro uh, on a red card sub- suspension. We could see Christian Eriksen make his return in this one, which could be big for Man United. I feel like there's not enough players creating chances for them. Uh, like watching them play against Newcastle last weekend, or um, I guess the weekend before, maybe. Or no, yeah, yeah, they, it was last weekend. Um, it didn't look great, but they get the win over Brentford midweek. And of That's course, Rashford back in the, the scoring too. Yeah. Against Brentford. And big. Bruno Fernandez had a good game in that one, but I didn't see enough from Anthony on the wing. I didn't see enough from Sancho. Sabitzer continues to play pretty well. I'm very happy with how he's played. It just seems like nobody else is creating chances for them. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember you were texting me during the Newcastle game, and it was it was awesome to see Newcastle beat Manchester United, you know, kind of get a 2-0 revenge game there. Manchester United, you know, th- this is a fourth versus 16th game. But it really, to me, is so much more than that because you have the the bottom is just in complete disarray. It's so close there. Um, there's literally no telling what can happen, and who's going to get relegated. But Manchester United, you know, they that 2-0 versus Newcastle hurt them really bad. And they only came back and beat Brentford 1-0. Of course, it's a big plus that Rashford got back in the score sheet after being kind of hurt there. But I, I definitely both of these teams have to show out against each other, uh, regardless of it being a fourth place versus 16th. And, uh, yeah, Manchester United need to need to do a lot to prove to me that they can still kind of perform and they haven't really lost it late, uh, in the last part of the season. Yeah. Who do you think is going to win this one? I'm going to go 2-0 United. Okay, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. Okay. I just... I don't know. There's something about this Manchester United lineup that I'm not happy with. And I think that, you know, Everton could certainly put one up on the board on Man U. Man U gives up a lot of goals. They've given up 37 goals this season. Everton has actually given up less. So I think they've had pretty good results in their last four as well. Like Everton, they drew Tottenham a top, top of the table team. They drew against Chelsea 2-2. That's a hard-fought one. They won against Brentford, another you know top-half team. And then the draw against Nottingham Forest, not great. But they're both kind of even there in the table. I really do like what Everton's doing right now with their form. You know, they're playing well against the top teams, and I think that this one will be no exception. Yeah, that's a that's a good point because Everton haven't lost since that four nil. Wow, my page that I was looking at just completely reset. Um, haven't lost since March first, so it's been over a month since Everton's last loss, and that was a four nil defeat to the best team in the league, Arsenal. So I, I can definitely see Everton playing well, but I, I think Manchester United, you know, obviously they have better players, and I think that they're gonna know that they need to show up against Everton because it's been kind of a rough past two games for them. Yeah. All right, let's talk Tottenham versus Brighton. It's at Hotspur Stadium. This one, another pretty big match here. 
Brighton is four points back, so they can't jump Tottenham here, but they could certainly make it a close one. Tottenham sitting in fifth, Brighton in sixth alone. Nobody tied on points. Brighton is very good, and Tottenham is in disarray. A uh, surprising stat that I found here, Brighton are third in the Prem in goals per game at 1.9. Ow. Solid. They haven't lost a game in their last five, too. Yeah, they look fantastic, and I they're actually unbeaten in their last eight. Um, yeah. <laughs> they definitely look like better form than Tottenham, especially, you know, Tottenham just fired their manager as well. I don't even know who they're in from is off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything, so it's obviously not a big name. Um, But I feel like Tottenham is in a, a perfect position to lose this game, if that makes sense. Because, you know, they've been kind of shaky, and they're about to, you know, play a team that's, I, I'll go ahead and say it, the real deal. You know, Brighton, Brighton have proven that they can compete and get results against anybody. And I just feel like, you know, with Tottenham's current state, you know, how their team is and everything, Brighton, you know, they'll they'll definitely get the better of them in this one. Yeah. Um, I I gonna take Brighton one nil. I'm gonna go three one, Brighton. Wow. I was hoping that you yeah, didn't man, I, I'm glad you didn't say that they drew because Spurs and Brighton have not drawn in their last ten matches against each other. So that was probably like what eight years ago. Uh, yeah, the last <laughs> time like that? that they drew was actually it was in 2018, April 17th, okay. 2018. But they've only drew. That's the one time in the 14 matchups ever between the two clubs. Um, Tottenham getting the best of them in 2011, 2014, and 2017. Yeah, I, I will say though, if Tottenham can get three points or even a draw against Brighton. That'll be a huge, huge, you know, point slash three points for them if that happens. Yeah, uh, three points here is enormous for Brighton because if they get three points and Villa doesn't, uh, Liverpool might not either against Arsenal. They're going to be, let's see, they'll be five points clear of Villa if Villa loses to Nottingham, and they'll be six points clear of Liverpool if Liverpool loses to Arsenal. So it's a big one here, and they'll only be a point out of that fifth spot, which is a UCL spot. Exactly. Um, God, Brighton in the Champions League. That would be so cool. Or sorry, so UA, cool uh, a champion, or, uh, UEFA or Europa League. Sorry, fifth is Europa League. But still. Is that really still Europa League? I thought one through five got UCL no. and sixth was Europa League. One through four. Fifth okay. Zero. Gotcha, gotcha. So, okay. Awesome. But yeah, uh, Brighton are two games behind Tottenham and still only four points away. And they yeah. play them this weekend. So that's, you know, things are looking up for Brighton. They just have to capitalize. And I mean, we've seen teams all, all during this Premier League season that have been put in positions to capitalize, but haven't capitalized. Uh, one of them being Chelsea. So hopefully Brighton, you know, don't fall to the same thing. Hopefully they can keep winning, um, especially against Tottenham. That'll just be absolutely hilarious. Yeah. All right, Liverpool versus Arsenal. This one at Anfield. I, I feel like Arsenal should just dominate this one. Dominate? Yes. Why do you think dominate? I, there's just... 
there's something about how I've seen Arsenal play that just has floored me. Especially, you know, they've kind of gotten back into form. They're running away with it right now. I'm very happy with how Arsenal's playing right now. There's they're not really missing anybody that they haven't already been missing. Saliba's been out, Tomayasu's been out, uh Nikita's been out and they're not all like huge parts of this starting lineup. Whereas Liverpool they're likely missing Van Dijk, likely going to miss Alcantara as well and Naby Keita. Luis Diaz still out. Like there's big parts of Liverpool that are still on the injured list facing Arsenal. Obviously not easy. It hasn't been easy for anybody. But, you know, the the results in general from Arsenal have just been ridiculously good. They just keep winning. They just will not be stopped in this one. I'm going to take Arsenal 3-1. You know, it's really interesting, and I'm kind of just looking at it now, that people are, you know, they talk about how many goals that Manchester City can score. Arsenal are literally right there behind them. It's it's not far off at all. I, I think Manchester City have 71 and Arsenal have 70. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, the rest of the league isn't even close. So, definitely need to put some more respect on Arsenal's name. Um, you know, I, I understand it's easy not to because Manchester City have Holland. Arsenal don't have Holland. Um, will Liverpool get dominated, though? I don't think so. I think Liverpool have a unique team in the sense where they have a very mature lineup that will not allow them to just get absolutely ran over by Arsenal. They know the challenge that's coming up. They're playing against top of the league. They've been absolutely on fire. And I think Liverpool have the, you know, like I said earlier, the right lineup to kind of mentally prepare themselves for this game. But will they win? Ah, man, I don't know. I don't know if Liverpool are going to win. I think I'm going to go safe here, 3-2 Arsenal, but Liverpool are going to make it close. All right. And I did – I totally missed this matchup from this weekend. Newcastle versus Brentford is actually a pretty big one for the table. Brentford right yeah. now at 43 points. They're in a spot to jump up as well. And obviously Newcastle, even on points right now with Manchester United, but in third place, they've got a – chance to get their fifth win in a row, but Brentford is nothing to just look over. Though they're not really on the best form, they get the midweek loss to Man United. They drew Brighton and Leicester previous. They got the win over Southampton. Brentford has not looked very good, but Newcastle really has to look good if they want to best Brentford in this one. That's true. Brentford is a team this year that you're really going to have to show up to beat, and Newcastle are pretty good at showing up, though. You know, they're coming off of um, that 2-0 versus uh, Manchester United and a 5-1 win over West Ham. So, Newcastle look absolutely good right now. They've won their last four in a row. I definitely think they will show up against Brentford, but, you know, they need to make sure that they show up against Brentford kind of thing because Brentford is this season one of those teams where if you're not ready, Brentford might get a draw or three points against you. Yeah, they certainly can. I think in this one, Newcastle probably takes it. I'm going to go 2-1, but I think it'll be close until the end. Yeah. Um I'm going to go I'm going to go 2-2 draw. All right. Actually 1-1 draw. Newcastle can defend pretty well. All right. I'm going to talk about the Masters a little bit. 
uh, and then we can get out of here. We're kind of cut for time recording earlier in the day. Like I said at the top of the show, absolutely love the Masters, Augusta National, my favorite course to watch. The This weekend is going to be interesting. The weather's not going to be fantastic after today's round. So, you know, people say that when it rains, it makes this course play much easier. Uh, it's softer. The greens are not quite as fast. It's it's a big deal. Right now um, at 4.19 p.m., Victor Hovland uh, and John Rahm are tied for the lead. They've both finished their rounds at 7 under. Cameron Young right behind them at 3rd. But Kepka and Burns tied at third as well, both five under. Kepka's still got um, three to play. Sam Burns is only through nine. He's five under. It's crazy. Uh, a couple of the big ones that I've got doing well this weekend haven't really done what I thought they would. Scotty Scheffler, he's through nine. He's three under. It, it He certainly could surge up this leaderboard. But Cam Smith, not in the best spot. Two under through his full round tied for 14th right now, but there's plenty of guys that are, you know, still playing that could jump him. And then Max Homa, who I believe is over par right now. Oh, here he is. Yeah. Max Homa's plus two right now. He's, he's behind tiger at the moment or tied with tiger, but through nine plus two, that's not a good look right now for Max Homa. He really needs to turn it around. He's, you know, historically not done well at the masters, but he's on top of the world right now. Obviously not the top player in the world, but he's ranked third in the world right now. He's got to turn it around in the majors, and the Masters is the one to win. So, yeah, this tournament, it looks like it's going to be interesting. Obviously, all the live players are here, so it definitely changes the field because the addition, you know, Kepka up there at the top, um, a bunch of other live players really pushing towards the top makes this, you know, a much more interesting tournament this year. And I think it's going to be a fantastic weekend. Um, obviously, Scotty Scheffler, the previous winner from last year. I can't wait to see what happens this weekend. Every year, I love watching the Masters, especially as somebody from Georgia. Uh, you know, everybody at some point wants to go see the Masters. And that is so well, definitely one of my my goals is at some point to go watch the Masters. But yeah, uh, I'm going to report back uh, on Wednesday's episode with how everything goes. But for now, enjoy this weekend. Tons of sports going on this weekend, not just the Masters. We just talked about it. We got the Prem this weekend. We got some great series in the, er, in the MLB. So we're loving life over here at Second and Short. Luke, how are you feeling about this weekend? I feel great. And you actually just kind of gave me an idea. We, we should take second and short to the Masters one year. The problem is, is like, you can't make much content out of the Masters because you're not allowed to take your phone in. Really? Yeah. Uh, no so, phone. So Connor with his camera would just get arrested. Certainly. Wow. Okay. We can, we can figure out something. <laughs> uh, you know what? It could just be uh, a trip. Doesn't have to be for business. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I, I don't literally could give two shits about golf, but I, I would actually like to travel to Augusta and watch the Masters. Yeah, it would be a real fun one. All right, Luke, anything else you've got for the people? Peace.
Where's your fucking Masters, man? You got your golf, and you'll get more of it on Wednesday, so stay tuned. <laughs> All right. We're going to get out of here. We'll see you all next week. Peace. Peace.